Welcome to the Breakout Growth Podcast, where Sean Ellis interviews leaders from the world's fastest growing companies to get to the heart of what's really driving their growth. And now, here's your host, Sean Ellis. All right, in this episode, we'll look at Revive, an AI-driven beauty personalization platform that helps cosmetic brands and retailers drive revenue by improving their customer experiences. So I'm speaking with the CEO, Sampo Parkinen, and he explains how they didn't really hit their growth stride until they realized what the true value was that they were delivering. So since then, he's been able to really get the team to align around that value delivery, and they've been able to significantly accelerate growth in the last year. So while they largely have a traditional kind of B2B sales process, they are able to work closely with their customer partners to closely track usage data and optimize the experience of their solution over time. So let's get started. Hi, Sampo. Welcome to the Breakout Growth Podcast. Hi, Sean. Uh, It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is uh, you have a really interesting business, one that that looks a little different than anything else that I've looked at up to up to this date. So I'm I'm excited to to dig into it. So um, it's pronounced Revive, is that right? Yeah, that that is correct. Yes, yes. Revive is the way we uh, we pronounce the uh, the name of the company. Okay, and then can before we kind of dig into how you're growing it, you want to give us a quick introduction to what you guys are doing? Yeah, for sure, absolutely. So um, we are a, a health. Uh, and, and beauty tech company. And, and what that actually means is that uh, we help beauty brands and retailers personalize the customer experience uh, for the beauty consumer. Um, and, and in more sort of layman's terms, you could think of us as you know the, taking the in-store beauty consultant, which is driving a lot of value and a lot of commerce in physical you know, stores. Um, and we're using technology to bring that into the digital world for the benefit of brands and and retailers and ultimately, you know, the end consumer, the beauty customer. Wow. Okay. And so it's, it's B2B. So you're selling then to, to retailers and brands. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. So, so I, I like to think of us as sort of B2B to C in the sense that, you know, our customer definitely is the, the brand or retailer we're selling B2B, but ultimately the solution that we're offering uh, is being used by the end consumer. So, so we care deeply also about the value that we're actually giving to the end consumer because then that, that value translates to value for, for the brands and retailers of our customer. Yeah, and and did you always intend to to do it as uh, as a as a business where you work through the retailers and the and the brands, or did you at in the beginning were you not sure if you would go direct to consumer or via these uh, other channels? Uh, well, I mean that, that, that's that's an interesting question. Um, there's a couple of things that we we really sort of um, you know tried to figure out early when we when we started, and we were starting out 2016 to 2017. Um, and, and really two questions that we had for ourselves, um, you know, one was, you know, if this type of a personalized customer experience for beauty was available to anyone, anywhere, um, how would consumers react? Would they trust it? Would they engage with it? Would it provide value to the consumer, just like the in-store beauty consultant provides value to the consumer? Uh, so that was one of the things that we really sort of tested early on. 
Um, and, and uh, you know, the second thing, once we had figured out that, yes, there is definitely a lot of value we can drive to the end consumer, this is a solution that the end consumer is looking for, um, we realized that, okay, we had to figure out what is the what is the correct strategy, what's the correct approach. And as a founding team, we have a background in retail technology. So so we, we started sort of talking to brands and retailers and, and really understanding, do they see this as a pain point? Do they see... Uh, the, the lack of this type of personalized customer experience uh, inhibiting their ability to serve their customers and, and generate revenue. Um, and, and the answer for us was, was yes, they definitely recognized that there was a problem that they needed to address. Um, some of the brands that we spoke with in, in the early days, um, they had come up with their own ways of, of really trying to solve that problem. So it was a really pressing issue, um, which then you know informed our decision on, on what our business model should be, what our strategy should be, but you know it could very well have ended up differently. Um, you know, if if brands and retailers wouldn't see a problem or would not wouldn't have seen a problem in 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 um, in the experience, you know, it could be that we would have gone sort of you know direct to consumer, you know, B to C. Uh, but I think in hindsight, it was definitely the, the the right choice and the correct choice and and an informed choice of that. And then how did you, at what point did you feel like you had achieved product market fit? Um, so I think things started changing for us really quite recently. I mean, I would say as recently as, as um, about a year ago. So, so obviously, uh, I mean, we're a young company. We started in 2017 um, and we had early signs of, I wouldn't yet say sort of product market fit, but early signs of intrigue, um, you know, starting from the very early days. I mean, we were doing a lot of Cold emailing, we're getting uh, you know twenty percent response rates on cold emails, which is unheard of. Um, so, so we saw there was a lot of signs that we were onto something. Um, but I think really somewhere sort of early last year, uh, there was a bit of an inflection point where we where we really saw that you know now we've really hit it home in terms of the product, in terms of the value proposition, the value that we're driving both to the to the brand as well as the end consumer. Um, and, and that's what really sort of enabled our growth. And it's been really, uh, you know, quite, quite a fascinating uh, sort of last 12 months. Right. And so w- was there like a major change in the product during that time or was it more about dialing in the positioning? So I think it was, I, I think there were two things. So, so I think, um, you know, obviously we had, we had customers at the time, but it was really, you know, only about a year ago when we really started to understand what are the different value drivers um, you know, for, for brands and retailers as our customers. So, so we, we, you know, we were doing very well in terms of providing value to the end consumer, but we hadn't quite in figured, figured out the, the business model, you know, certain features and functionalities that were really driving, uh, you know, value for the decision maker, you know, who is a B2B decision maker who ultimately makes the decision on, right, are we going to buy this type of solution and enable our customers to benefit from it? Um, so, so there was part of it was certainly product. Uh, there were some sort of business model changes that we made, um, you know, positioning changes. Um, so, so I, I think sort of overall, it, it wasn't a, a sort of one single thing that I can point out. It was more of a sort of collection of things where we really, I guess, started listening to the customers that we had, uh, on a much sort of deeper level than we had before. 
Yeah, it's amazing how just tapping into value that's already there, but being able to truly understand it can uh, can can be a key ingredient in being able to be better at delivering it, messaging it, and and doubling down on the functionality that matters for it. Absolutely. Uh, so when you look at, so you said over the last twelve months is when growth has really picked up. Uh, what do you? What have been kind of the key drivers of that growth over the last twelve months? Um, so I think you know, obviously, uh, having a product market fit for for us, um, uh, that's that's one sort of key driver of growth. Uh, but but alone, I wouldn't say that that's that's enough. So so in 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 general, you know, even if you have product market fit, um, that alone can drive a certain amount of growth. But on top of that, I think one of the things that has really helped us grow is um, is the type of Sort of alignment that that we've sort of managed to build in into the into the team, um, where where really you know it it, uh, it is it is almost like uh, like we're we're you know we're we're getting a sort of we're getting bigger and bigger as a team, but we're very well aligned in terms of uh, you know driving towards the towards the same um, same goal and same out- outcome. So I think that alignment has been really key for us in uh, in really sort of enabling that um, that growth. Uh, and so ultimately, uh, you know, product market fit plus then alignment, which is you know part of part of execution. Um, and, and it obviously helps that you know we've been able to attract um, quite some phenomenal sort of individuals into the team, people who have been you know technology entrepreneurs themselves in the past, and, and the decision for them you know, was around, do I start my own next thing or do I join a, a, an early stage company that is, that is clearly on the move? Um, and we've managed to, to do a really great job of, of attracting some sort of great, great talent. And, and obviously my job as founder and CEO right now is just to, you know, sit back a, a bit more and just let, you know, the, the different teams and the people sort of, you know, run with it. Mm-hmm. And so is it, is it primarily, uh, an outbound effort then to these different brands and retailers or what, how do you, how do you actually get them uh, becoming customers? Yeah. So I would say that, you know, definitely when it comes to sort of ultimately the, the, um, the sales funnel and ultimately, you know, getting these prospects to, to turn into customers, that is very much of an outbound effort. Uh, I think we've done a lot in terms of automating, uh, you know, using software to automate certain parts of the top of the funnel. So I think we've been very efficient, uh, efficient there. Um, it is still very much a sort of B2B sales cycle. So we are talking about a, a sort of B2B, you know, hands-on sales cycle, which could be anywhere from, you know, six to 18 months. Um, but I would also say that we do get a fair bit of inbound as well. So, so for us, uh, we have been putting more and more emphasis on, on sort of driving driving inbound uh, leads, driving inbound uh, sort of inquiries, um, and also using you know growth tactics and 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 also sort of content um, to to really sort of engage the, the sort of prospects at the at the top of the funnel. Um, so so I would say that you know yes, it is still very much of an outbound effort, um, but we are starting to see a lot more. Uh, sort of inbound um, as as well, which is which is really uh, really promising. Yeah, absolutely. So, what would you say are some of the biggest challenges that you faced up up until this point, and what have you done to overcome those? Uh, so, I think you know one of the one of the biggest challenges um, that that we faced in terms of our our, our growth um, 
uh, was, was I think, the, you know, one is sort of really, um, let's say sort of organizational, um, because whenever you're sort of pre-product market fit, you know, you're, you're sort of scrambling and, and willing and able to do just whatever it takes to, to get the job done. Uh, you know, you're, you're building features for individual customers. You are, uh, you know, scrambling over the place. Uh, maybe you don't really have a sort of defined strategy. You're just really focused on figuring out where the value here, you know, how, how do we get to that uh, sort of product market fit? And, 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 and that stage, you know, what I like to say is that, you know, it's, it's 100% art. And, and, um, and then one of the sort of, uh, I think, sort of biggest challenges for us is, is once you get to sort of product market fit and you hit that type of an inflection point and you really start to grow, that 100% art just doesn't work anymore because it doesn't scale very well. So, so, um, so we did things, for example, like, you know, in customer support, we had a dedicated uh, Slack channel for each of our customers. Where our development team could talk to the customers, the customer would talk to me as the CEO, our development team, anyone from from our team, quite frankly, and and you know that's great in the early days, but then when you start to sort of scale up, you know, you just can't you just can't maintain that. So so for us, I think one of the challenges was really figuring out, uh, and and we're not doing a perfect job at this either. I'll be I'll be I'll be honest. Um, how do we sort of how do we figure out which parts of that art to, to keep uh, whilst at the same time, you know, you have to put in some processes, you have to put in some structures, you have to actually figure out how to work as a sort of, uh, you know, more, more as an, as a real company, as more as a sort of scaling company without going sort of full fledged sort of enterprise. So you want to keep, you know, the good parts of being nimble, being flexible, being agile, being fast. Um, and, and, and you have to know where to deploy that type of art that enables you to do that. But at the same time, you have to be more structured. You have to be more thorough. You have to be more clear on communication. Um, you know, you're, you, know, it, it, you, know, you can't just, um, just you know, be this uh, mishmash of, 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 of everything. So, so I think that was and I, and I think still is one of the, one of the sort of biggest challenges uh, for us. Right. And then from what I understand, you guys are, are pretty dispersed geographically as a team as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. And, and, and I think, you know, there's, there's, there's pros and cons. So we have, our, uh, we have our European headquarters in Helsinki, Finland. We've got our American headquarters in Chicago. And we have our sort of product development hub down in Valencia in Spain. Uh, so, so we do have um, you know, a geographically dispersed team. We've got twelve different nationalities, so there's you know cultural differences and 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 all of that. So, so I would say that you know that in on on one hand, um, it makes it a bit uh, tougher, but at the same time, uh, I think because of the fact that we've been uh, geographically dispersed, you know, we've had you know people in remote locations. Maybe we've had to develop some level of even like elementary processes earlier on than, you know, some other companies might have to just because we're geographically dispersed. So, so I think that also gives us you know, partially an advantage at this stage uh, because we have some type of framework, some type of, you know, backbone to go on uh, because we were really never able to let's say, just, you know, sit in one room and, you know, shout across the desk and that would be the way we communicate. So we, we were never really, you know, in, in that stage. So, so, um, 
so yeah, it's it's um it's it's interesting from that perspective as well. Yeah, well, I think in particular, given that you've got that geographically dispersed team, but one of the things you called out as something that you're doing really well in the business when we talked about the important drivers of growth is that alignment where where everyone is pulling in the same direction toward the important goals in the business. So um, that's that's great that you, usually when companies move from that art phase, as you referred to it, to where it, it becomes more of the the science that it um, it's a pretty big cultural shift in the business. It sounds like you're having that that cultural shift, but the one of the biggest challenges is communication during that, and um, the fact that you, as you said, had to had to deal with communication challenges pretty early on. Hopefully, that that makes it less of a a hurdle for you to keep keep good communication channels open. Yeah, absolutely, and I mean, you know, we're no means sort of perfect at it. Uh, I, I, I still, you know, I still tell all of the the people in different offices. Uh, I keep on reminding them that look, you know, we're still early, so so let's be let's be patient with this. Let's let's be tolerant. Uh, you know, let's let's uh, you know, we're still using each other as a bit of sort of guinea pigs when it comes to the sort of communication. Uh, so so you know, I I think a key to that is also sort of transparency. So. So I, I try to encourage everyone on the team uh, you know, when it comes to sort of communication, particularly at this stage uh, when we're growing really fast, to to basically if they if they have a little sniff of, you know, I don't understand, I don't have the information, where can I find it? Just you know, raise up their hand and say, whoa, 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 this isn't working. We got to figure out something else to do, and and then we figure out something else to do. So so I I think that's really really uh, important when it comes to uh, communication. Right. And then um, in, in terms of kind of everybody being in pulling in the same direction for around around the mission, what, how would you even state what the mission of the business is? So I think one of the things that, uh, you know, our mission is really um, it, it's really sort of, you know, twofold. Um, on one hand, uh, we want to enable the brands and retailers to provide the sort of best possible personalized customer experience for their end consumers um, and one that drives really tangible results uh, for the uh, for the brands and retailers um, on the other hand you know on the consumer side uh, I mean these are very much interlinked but on the consumer side I would say that you know what we are interested in is is really helping the consumer discover you know skin and beauty products uh, that specifically fit their needs, um, and 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 you know help them with that sort of product discovery uh, process. Uh, so I think that's you know fundamentally what we're what we're sort of all about, and 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 everything that we're sort of you know building towards, um, and all the features, all the functionalities, all the products, all the activities we're doing. You know, should be aimed at sort of reaching that uh, end goal, and 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 you're keeping that in mind. Is, is this thing that we're doing accomplishing, you know, our our mission into that direction? And then, so do you have a way of being able to to track your, your ability to increase progress on that on that mission? Um. So, so yes, yeah, we, we do. I mean, to an extent, we do. Um, obviously, you know, we are we're providing a, a, an experience that ultimately runs on the sort of digital channel of the brand or retailer. Um, so, for us to be able to sort of track our progress, uh, we do have to work quite closely with a lot of our customers, which we you know, which we do. 
Um, but, but I think, you know, for us, um, when it comes to really sort of measuring the, the value that we're driving, um, it's, it's funny because, because, um, you know, I know that you, you've mentioned the, the concept of a sort of North star metric, uh, you know, many times and, and, um, and I've never really thought of that term in particular, but when I started thinking about it, um, I realized that there's, there's, and I went actually through some of the presentations that I've made, like even internal ones uh, in the early days. And I realized that there's, there's always been a recurring theme, which is like driving tangible uh, sort of business results uh, through sort of conversion uh, for, for our brands and retailers. It's funny because you wouldn't think about conversion as a sort of North Star metric, but we're not really talking about our conversion. We are talking about the conversion that we enable or the increasing conversion that we enable our brand or retailer partners to have. Um, and, and we're kind of using that as a proxy of value uh, because for us, you know, that you know, increasing conversion shows two things. First of all, it shows that you know, our, the brand or retailer as our customer is getting a tangible business benefit from using our solution, you know, very tangible. Um, and at the same time, it shows, um, because the consumer is the one who's ultimately, you know, clicking that buy button and, and buying as a result of going through that customer experience. It also shows that we've been able through that experience to build a certain amount of trust with the consumer. We've been able to generate value towards the consumer Enough so that they're confident in saying, right, okay, you know, I'm going to buy these products as a result. Um, so so it's, it's a very sort of, uh, let's say, traditional metric of, of conversion, but it's the conversion that we're enabling our brand and retail partners to receive is, is something that we're, we're, we are sort of consistently and constantly measuring as, a, as an indicator of are we driving value both for our customer and the end consumer. Right. And so can we maybe dig a little bit more into actually how you work on the, on the, uh, brand or, or retailers website? Is, is it, is it a widget or is it, how, how does it actually integrate in there? How do you know that someone's engaging with it? Yeah. So, I mean, basically it, it is a, a, a JavaScript widget. Um, if, if you, um, if, uh, if you, um, you know, think about it in a, in a sort of simple way. Uh, so we deliver a sort of piece of JavaScript code, uh, which, is uh, is running our um, our solution uh, directly on the website or inside the mobile app of a retailer brand or even obviously you can run it on a digital screen in store um, across any number of digital channels effectively where you as a brand are engaging with your uh, with your consumers and and um, and obviously it's it's fully branded to the brand or retailer uh, we're driving recommendations, uh, product recommendations from the brands or retailers inventory, um, you know, in that experience. Um, but, you know, from a consumer perspective, it's really just part of the, the website. So, so, so it's a solution on the you know, website, for example, that helps the consumer figure out, you know, based on analyzing their skin using computer vision, uh, what are the products that I should be using? You know, there's, 4,000 products in my, in the inventory of, of, uh, an Alta beauty or, or, or Macy's, which ones are, are right for me. Um, and, and, and that's really, you know, in a, in a very simple way, um, the experience, and obviously it is a JavaScript. So we're able to, to track the activity of the consumer inside that experience. Don't identify the consumer. We don't store this, the, the selfie that they provide to us for analysis, 
Um, but we're able to track what they do. And obviously, we in, in turn, we provide that data back to our, our brand or retail partner. Um, but we get a fair, fairly good understanding ourselves of what's going on, which then obviously enables us to sort of essentially use uh, multiple sort of, let's say, you know, tactics that are, are more, um, uh, let's say, uh, you know, more, uh, more widely spread in, in B2C in terms of, you know, developing new features and functionalities, figuring out which features people are interacting with, the end consumers are interacting with, um, and using that in improving the, the product. Right. And now is it um, an optional part of the experience for the consumer? Like if they came to a site and they just want to go straight and buy something, they could, they could skip over that, right? Of course, of course. I mean, this is an optional part. And, and because this is part of our you know, customers, our retail brand customers, customer experience, they're in full control in terms of how the consumer gets presented, what is the flow on their website that the consumer needs to go to to access the solution. It could be front and center on, a, on, a, on the front page. It could be a category page. It could be a separate part of the site. Uh, that's really up to them and how they want to position it. Um, uh, and, and, uh, and, and that's something that, you know, they have full control over. And I mean, this may be kind of a stretch, but have you been able to a B test like this being provided as part of the experience versus this not being and kind of random sampling the traffic that's coming into a site to be able to validate that it does does in fact impact sales or is it more of a correlation this many people engage with it and we're seeing a lot of those people go on to make purchases. Yeah, so I think, you know, we've definitely done a lot of tests together with our customers, obviously. Um, you know, we've definitely done a lot of tests in terms of, you know, what does the flow look like? You know, where do people access the solution from? What are the differences in, in, um, in you know, people converting through the experience if you access it from the front page, from a, you know, category page, from an individual product page on a website, whether it's a separate part, a separate URL together. Uh, so we've done a lot of these types of tests, um, you know, even even things like, uh, you know, what is the, you know, what is the, uh, you know, funnel look like? What is the um, what is the engagement with the solution look like if you, you know, put the access sort of button on the left side of the page, on the right side of the page, if it's, you know, vertical, horizontal, if it has an icon and text or just text. We've done a lot of these types of variants um, in terms of testing. Um and, and, and I think, you know, it's, it's uh, really because we, we do serve customers on, on four different continents um, and, and there's quite a variety. So, so anything from, you know, multiple sort of Fortune 500 beauty retailers and brands all the way down to sort of regional sort of up and coming influencer led, uh, led brands. Um, that's really enabled us to, to do a lot of like different type of testing, which also, of course, sort of in the end, uh, you know, collectively sort of, um, you know, it feeds into our own product development. Um, so, so I think that's been sort of really, really, um, you know, interesting for us is, is to be able to conduct these types of, uh, as, as a B2B company, conduct these types of like almost like B2C type tests with the product, um, you know, across multiple continents. So, so uh, right. yeah, absolutely. And, and it seems like if you can make the case where, where you've really run it as a scientific test that 
you know, these people have not been exposed to it. These people were, and it's a random sample going down that path. And here's how it impacts sales that it, it could, it could make it much easier to sell the product to additional retailers and brands. If, if you could, if you could make that kind of scientific split test that you would almost do on like, uh, verifying if a drug works or not. <laughs> yeah, no, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and we do have, you know, a lot of that data. And I mean, it's not, it's not only, you know, not only does it help in terms of, uh, Obviously, for us, sort of, you know, acquire more customers and, and you know, speeding up our own growth. Um, but it also helps in in uh, in you know having discussions with with you know prospects and existing customers. Um, you know, in terms of you know, they might have their own ideas about how what they would like this type of experience to look like. Um, and it's always very helpful, you know, if if we have the sort of ammunition to say, well, you know, that's a great idea. Here's some data. That we that you know about what happened when we actually tried that. Uh, so you know, we'd suggest you guys don't do that. I mean, it's yeah, you, know, you can try it again, but it's been tested. <laughs> yeah. So 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 because because that's really and, and that's really something that 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 a lot of our our brand and retail partners really value is is also our ability to bring in that type of sort of uh, expertise and knowledge into the discussion. So we're not just you know providing them with a tool or with a solution, but we're actually making sure that look you know, we're setting them up for success with it from the, from the very beginning. Right. Okay. And, and so it sounds like you've got, you've got salespeople that are, that are dealing directly with, with prospects. And then I know you have a growth function there because he's the one who introduced us, someone in a growth lead there. And then, so do you have a, a traditional marketing role as well? So what does that growth sales and marketing organization look like? Yeah, so so sales is distinctly separate, right? So so these are sort of enterprise, you know, B two B, you know, sales uh, sales professionals, and that's a sort of sales team. Um, for us, marketing is obviously separate from that, uh, but marketing and growth for us are really you know one and the same um, because because um, and, and growth is you know also you know it, it's much more tighter to product. Uh, so we have a product team as well, but but uh, growth is much more tighter to sort of product than than really sort of sales. So so we do some sort of traditional marketing um you know activities as well. Um but I would say that you know, m- you know more and more of our sort of marketing activities are, are related to growth. So we do a lot of you know we do a lot of testing, we do a lot of experimentation, a lot of iteration um you know even on you know things like you know our our website, our content um you know all those types of things, and and um, and that's really driven by the, the growth team. So so they're let's say that they're doing this traditional marketing stuff, um, which is you know part of the sort of growth skill set. But they're 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 doing that almost on the side of of growth. Um, you know we we don't really have a sort of full time role for anyone just to do traditional type of marketing stuff. Uh, we're not doing much of that at all. Um, and then also we have a, a sort of separate, um, you know, customer success team, um, which is then, you know, you know, helping our sort of live customers generate more value from the, from the solution. Um, so, so that's also sort of separate, uh, still. Right. Okay. So let's, let's look at then what is that journey from, you, you mentioned that there's some outbound and some inbound in terms of how people are discovering Revive, but from from someone discovering Revive to becoming, you know, your your 
brand advocate where they're really excited about it and they're they're the ones that are keeping the rest of their organization uh, excited about it. What's what's that journey look like from from where they first hear about it to where they start using it and get excited about it? Yeah, so I think you know you know usually again still the vast majority of of our prospects. I mean, they come from outbound and, and like I said, we've done a. Uh, in my mind, at least, a sort of very good job of sort of automating the the, the top of the funnel. Uh, uh, so we're sending you know personalized content, personalized emails, uh, you know, on a mass. Um, we've we've done a lot of sort of A/B testing on what type of content uh, sort of works, what type of sequences work, timing, um, you know, all that sort of stuff. So 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 we've you know used a lot of B two C tactics there as well. Um, usually, that's how a sort of prospect you know really hears about us the, the, the first time. Uh, and that at the same time could be reinforced with, uh, you know, obviously at that point we, we know their email address, we know who they are, their job function, these sort of things. Um, so, so that can be sort of reinforced uh, through sort of, you know, you know, paid advertising, digital channels. Uh, so, 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 you know, digital ads across, you know, multiple, multiple channels um, at the same time. Um you know, they, they start a sort of discussion with our with our sort of usual usually our sort of sales team who you know goes through the product, the value proposition, the benefits, all the all the sort of traditional uh, you know sales sales cycle, um, and, and then you know the, the the customer once they sort of sign up with us, uh, there's two things that happen. They end up in our sort of implementation team, which really makes you know takes care of the sort of onboarding, make sure that okay the solution gets deployed on the customer site. Um, you know, usually a sort of few week type of process where we have calls with the customer explaining, hey, here's exactly what we're going to deliver. Here's what we need from you. Um, you know, here's here are all the things. Here's how you put it, you know, up and live, documented uh, everything. Here's how you sort of get up and running with it. Um, at the same time, uh, our sort of customer success team, uh, you know, gets involved. Uh, we still do things like, for example, in the implementation phase, we do still open up a, a a sort of Slack channel between us and the customer, just so that you know, you know, they may have a developer who's ultimately responsible for you know copying pasting that piece of JavaScript code that we provide and and making sure that it's live on the website. Um, so so they can interact directly with our sort of implementation team, uh, and then we also get our customer success team sort of involved. Um, you know, making sure that you know the customer you know knows what to expect once the solution is live. Uh, having discussions around the customer around, you know, initially around, you know, what is the value they're expecting? What is the value that, you know, we're, we're, we're sort of looking to drive, uh, you know, really understanding what is the, what is the end goal for them in, in terms of, you know, starting with this type of solution. And then obviously, uh, you know, after the customer's live, we are building a lot of new features. I mean, we're, we're, doing um, you know production releases for new features and functionalities new capabilities every two weeks um, so so you know the customer success team is also then making sure and having discussions that hey you know our customers know about these these new features um, you know it, it's always up to them if they want to activate it because we're still talking about a solution that's part of their customer experience but just so that they know hey there's all this new stuff that's available so you want to you know put that live here's what we think is going to happen. You know, here are the things that you should, you know, sort of, you know, look for. Um, so, so, so that's really the, the, the sort of process um, that the, that the customer, um, you know, goes, uh, you know, through with us. Um, and, and uh, we've tried to get really better as we sort of scaled up. We've, we really had to get very, you know, very much better at, at um, making sure just internally that we're aligned on, 
you know, who does what in this process. So in, in the early days, it was sort of like a mishmash. And we didn't really care if, if the salesperson sort of, you know, touched on the implementation or even did half of it. And then the implementation team that flowed over into customer success. Um, you know, these days we're, we're very, we sort of make sure that, okay, we internally know like, you know, who does what. Uh, so we, you know, look more organized uh, towards, towards our customers, which, which is you know, starting to be important. Mm-hmm. So, and then if someone were to stop using Revive, what, what would generally be the, the main reason if a, if a brand or a retailer was to, were to stop? I would say that, you know, one of the, one of the, uh, you know, obviously if that happens, we've really failed because, because that means that we haven't delivered on the business value that they, they thought they were getting. Um, so, so, you know, if that does happen, um, you know, usually, uh, I mean, it could be a, uh, it could be a function of, uh, you know, us not being clear enough in, in the process of sort of what is the value they should be expecting. So, so there's some sort of line expectations, uh, you know, from the beginning. Um, other times, you know, it's simply a, a sort of over, a, you know, a, a, a um, let's say an overestimation from the, from our customer's side that we haven't, we failed to correct around, around, you know, just making sure that they understand that, Hey, yes, you know, we're driving tangible business value. We have some great metrics around it. But this is not a silver bullet. So, so if the you know if your you know let's say your 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 e-commerce or direct to consumer channel as a brand is not working very well at all in general, uh, you shouldn't expect our solution to be a sort of silver bullet. Yes, we can help, but we're not going to fix all your problems. And and if we haven't been clear with that, uh, you know, in the very beginning, um, you know that that sometimes sort of you know causes customers to to sort of, you know, be disappointed in, 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 you know, what they're, um, what they're getting. Uh, we do, I mean, in, internally, we do, you know, look at these things from a retrospective point of view as well. So, so, um, so I've set sort of alerts for myself, even still today, whenever we have a, you know, customer, you know, sort of churning or, or, um, or, or even when we have a, a sort of new prospective deal that gets, you know, to a certain point of the, the funnel, and then, you know, we lose that deal uh, because, you know, still one of the key points for, for myself, and, and, and these are things that, you know, I then, you know, put forward to the relevant department. Um, I, you know, w- still want to be, you know, hands-on understanding, you know, where do we go wrong? Like, how do we correct this? How do we, how do we improve on this? I mean, is it the product? Is it the sales process? Were we unclear? Was the implementation tedious? Um, could we have done something better? Um, and, and, uh, and from that perspective, I still, you know, I, there's, there's a couple of things that I've sort of automated for myself. I, I mean, even before this happens, you know, for example, whenever a customer goes live with us, um, after 30 days, uh, they get an automated, uh, you know, invitation from me to just to have a 20 minute conversation with me about what their experience has been so far. Uh, because I think, you know, I, I need to, you know, I need to know that, uh, I, I want to know that. So, so it's an open invitation, you know, some customers take it, some, some don't, but, but, um, you know, that's, that's part of the, part of the, um, the way that we try to make sure that, okay, we address issues early on, um, you know, even before they sort of uncovered really the business value for themselves, if they have a, you know, if they have had a bad experience during the sales process or the implementation process, then, you know, we need to obviously fix something because then we're, you know, inhibiting our own, uh, our own growth. Um, right. So, um, so yeah. 
But so that's great to do it like in the in after those first 30 days, because I, I see a lot of CEOs or other senior executives that try to step in once the business is lost. And that is uh, by that point, people have made up their mind. It's, it's pretty hard to save it at that point. So being able to be proactive on the front end of a relationship and show that you care about the success and, and keep that pulse uh, probably gives you a lot more ability to affect the outcome of, of that account long term. So that's uh, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so one last question before we wrap up, um, what do you feel like you understand about growth now that maybe you didn't understand as well a couple of years ago? You know, one of the things that I, that I probably didn't really understand um, you know, earlier was, was the importance in terms of you know, your, your growth rate. Um, you know, obviously, you, you know, there's a prerequisite of, of, especially if you're looking for sustainable growth, of having a strong product market fit. But but um, what I didn't really understand is is the importance of you know understanding beyond that product market fit what are either sort of the inhibitors or the drivers of your growth. So so even if you have a product market fit, um, you know your your actual sort of growth rate uh, is determined by you being able to to uh, you know proactively limit uh, the amount of uh, you know sort of inhibitors um, or or you know you know, mitigate their impact in in some way um, and really find out you know what are the sort of drivers of of that uh, of that growth um, and 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 I think really the sort of importance of understanding those. Um, I really didn't sort of understand uh, understand before before now. So I think that's uh, th- that for me has been one of the uh, one of the things where I've really had to think about. Okay, well, you know, how do we? You know, w- w- what's stopping us? Like, w- what are the what are the things that are that are stopping us from from growing even faster? And and really sort of consciously sort of thinking about that um, I- instead of then being happy with you know once you have product market fit, you're going to get a certain level of of growth. Uh, but are you optimizing your growth? Well, that's up to the sort of inhibitors and, and, and drivers. Right. No, that makes a ton of sense. And I completely agree that at the foundation of sustainable growth is product market fit, but that still leaves a lot of room for poor execution or good execution to make sure that you maximize sustainable growth on that. And one of my big takeaways is what you talked about is just that that upfront expectation building, if you set the right expectations on the value that you can provide and then work really hard to deliver on those expectations, then you should never lose a client. And so being able to being able to first understand the value, and that was a lot of what you said when you dialed in on, on growth in the business, was that you started to figure out the real value that you provided, but then being able to message that value in a way that is realistic about what you can provide and then and then making sure that you actually provide it i think that's the at, at the end of the day and then the the you know reducing the growth inhibitors as you talked about but but ultimately ultimately value is going to drive that sustainable growth that starts with product market fit and it sounds like um sounds like you guys are doing a really good job of honing in on that and and building a machine to make sure that you deliver a lot more of it absolutely and that's that's what we're we're, we're trying to do and, and again we're, we're by no means perfect but uh but I think we're we're you know we're, we're certainly uh, you know getting much better at that for sure. Well, congrats on on all the success to date. It's definitely an interesting space. I know that that margins in the in the cosmetics industry are are huge. So if you can make any impact on being able to 
move the needle on on digital sales, then then it should be a, a great business. So congrats again on all the success to date. And thanks for, for being so open with us and sharing what's working to grow Revive. Thanks a lot, Sean. My, my pleasure. It was a real pleasure uh, being here. Thanks for listening to the Breakout Growth Podcast. Please take a moment to leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, subscribe so you never miss a show. Until next week.